Hi, how are you? I'm going to give each of you a piece of paper as you come up. Fantastic. Good morning. How are you? Great. I have a lot more children here than I did first service. That's fantastic. And I've got two big kids, which is awesome. Another big kid, which is awesome. Wow. And one more. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, I forgot one. I'm sorry. Here you go. Okay. Does everybody have a piece of paper? Fantastic. While you're looking at your piece of paper, I want you to think for just a second. What does this look like to you? And before you answer me, I actually have a question for the congregation. And when I ask this question, just simply respond with a yes if this applies to you. Have you ever said or heard this expression in one way or another? Once you do or say something that's mean or not nice, you can never take it back. Have you ever heard that? If you have, say yes. Did you hear that? Do you hear all those yeses? Have you guys ever heard something like that? Yes. I want to tell you a story. And while I'm telling you this story, just continue to look at your paper and, and, and think about what it looks like to you. Now, I'm a den leader for Cub Scouts. And recently, we did, are you in Cub Scouts? Fantastic. Recently, we did an activity that required us to throw a football. Now, in my infinite wisdom, I did not bring a soft football. No, I brought a real football, which is hard. You can imagine what happened, right? While the boys were playing, one of the boys had the ball. And he was really, really excited, and he threw it as hard as he could at his friend. And his friend wasn't watching until the very last moment. He turned his head, and the ball hit him right in the middle of the nose. And it hurt, right? He started to cry, and he had a little bit of a bloody nose. So all the adults came in and rushed him away so they could take care of it. And the other little boy who threw the ball... Got so upset. He got angry with himself and he started to cry and he wanted to go home. He wanted to leave. But I told him, I said, you know, before you leave, let's wait for him to get back and see if we can make it right. How would we make it right? I asked him, what do you think he said? We could apologize. That's right. We could ask him to forgive him. Right. So that's what happened. The other little boy came out after we got his nose cleaned up and the little boy who threw the ball, he walked up to him and he said, I didn't mean to throw the ball at your face. I'm sorry. And the other little boy said, accidents happen. This isn't the first time. (laughs) They shook hands, right? And they were friends again. They were friends again. Now, I want you to look at your piece of paper for just a second. What does it look like to you? What does it look like? It, a dove is white, so maybe a peace, okay? Oh, wait, I oh, she forgot. It makes, me, it, it makes me think about God and Jesus Makes you think about God and Jesus? Okay. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your piece of paper, hold it in your hands, and I want you to crumple it up. Just crumple it up as tight as you can. Now, open your hands and look at it. What does it look like now? Ball. It looks like a ball. It looks like nothing. Looks like nothing. Okay. Now, let's open them up. 
What does it look like when you open it up? Open it all the way up. Somebody tell tell me what it looks like now. It looks wrinkly. Looks like it's been crumbled. Okay. Looks like an old picture. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it still a piece of paper? It is, isn't it? But it's different. Now, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do to this piece of paper, you can try to iron it. You can put it between two books for probably a year. And when you take it out, is it ever going to look like that piece of paper did when we first started where it had no crinkles in it? Will it ever look that way again? It'll never be the same. It'll never look that way. Well, the story that I just told you about the little boy who threw the ball, right? Everybody look at your paper again. Everybody look at your paper. So that boy, they were friends, right? He throws the ball. Crinkle the paper up. He throws the ball. Now, something just happened. He threw the ball, right? He was upset, but he asked for forgiveness. When he asked for forgiveness, open your paper up. The other little boy said, I forgive you. It's okay. So they were friends again, right? This piece of paper is their friendship, but it's a little different. It's a little different. The question that I asked the congregation this morning was, have you ever heard the expression when you say something or do something that's maybe not so nice or maybe it's mean, you can never take it back. And I asked you if you'd ever heard that, right? Well, here's something I want you to think about. The same is true for all the good things that we do. For all the positive things that we can say to people, for all the encouragement that we can say to them, right? See, this is my piece of paper, and it's blank just like yours. But if I crumple it up and I say, this is all of the good things that I can say. This is all the positive things. These are the compliments that I can give people. These are all the wonderful ways that I can show them that I love them, that God loves them. Well, see, it's different. Right. It's been changed. But it's for the better. Right. To me, this is what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness happens whenever we ask somebody to forgive us. Right. For something that we've done that maybe wasn't so nice. But it can also be all the positive things that we say and that we do. So what I want you to do is I want you to take some crayons with you. And we'll do that after we pray, okay? We'll do that after we pray. And I want you to go back to your seats and take this piece of paper, and I want you to draw what you think forgiveness would look like, right? What you think forgiveness would look like for you. But I want you to remember the most today when we leave here is that it's the positive things that we say, right? It's the good works that we do. We can't ever take those back either. And it changes things, and it changes people for the better. Yeah? Let's pray. Everybody grab a hand real quick. Everybody got a hand? Good. Okay. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for all the blessings and the opportunities you give us to be a blessing to the people that we love and that we care about. We thank you for your forgiveness. And help us to forgive others. We love you, God.
Amen. Everybody grab a crown before you go back to your seat. And thank you so much for being here. Each one of you are a blessing to this congregation and to our worship. Pull, pull. There you go. Thank you so much, Josh. It's interesting. At the early service, we had big kids who participated in children's time. And when they looked at that blank piece of paper, they said, it's blank, right? Blank. Our children, this service, they saw stuff. Yeah. And a little child shall lead them. Amen? Amen. We are continuing our series today on being the church, and um, each Sunday in this, in this series we have focused on a word that helps define what it means to be people of the church. The first Sunday the word was blessing, and the second Sunday it was welcoming, the third Sunday it was companioning, and then lament, and then healing, And today we are looking at the word forgiving. And so to begin to take a look at what that word might mean for us, we are reading a story in the 8th chapter of John. And we will begin at the beginning of the chapter. Listen for the word of God. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So during children's time, we heard Josh uh, repeat something that so many of us were raised with. 
If you say something hurtful or something mean to someone, you can't take the words back, right? I think a related phrase to that is, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ha, right? What about this phrase? Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. So let me ask you this question. Is that biblical? Is that a biblical phrase? No. I'm so glad to hear no's. Because a lot of people in our culture think that it is biblical. To forgive and to forget. And the thing is, my friends, is that when we marry those two words, to forgive and to forget, I think that we are actually going against the grain of what our faith tradition teaches us. For we are a people of memory. If we do not remember the stories that shape us, especially the story of Jesus of Nazareth, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. If we do not remember that story, then we fall into amnesia and we don't remember what we are about. And this word, forgiveness, is one of those words that I think defines us as a people of faith, but it is one of the hardest words to unpack, is it not? And let's consider perhaps why that is so. Go back to when you were a child, young, and something happens that, that hurts And so, as children, usually what we do is cry. And then think about the response that we likely received from a parent or a grandparent or an adult who is around us that we trust, perhaps a teacher or a coach. Think about the word that we receive. It'll be all right, honey. You'll get over it. Big boys don't cry. Suck it up. Buck up. Get a backbone. Think of all of the different phrases that we have heard when we were hurt. And then think about the process that begins when we hear those words. We hear from an adult that we trust, you know, buck up, suck it up, get a backbone. Well, that's what we begin to do, right? So the part of us that was wounded begins to step back, and all of those other areas of our psyche begin to summon the the resources to fortify and to strengthen and to defend And you multiply this with all the hurts that we receive over our lives. And so we walk through life feeling strong, confident, competent. Right? 
And it kind of builds up into an armor. And when that armor gets thick enough, then we've got a little backpack, right? And with each subsequent hurt, we just chuck it back there. So it's out of sight and out of mind, and we don't have to look at it. But the thing is, that armor and that backpack start getting very, very heavy. Think of the words from Matthew's Gospel. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we have this story. The woman caught in adultery. For people who have spent a lot of time in church, that is kind of shorthand for this story. And there's a motif that is um, very often quoted in our own culture, whether they are people quoted by people who are in church or out of church. And that is, well, if you haven't done any wrong, you can cast the first stone. St. Augustine, in the 4th century, did a sermon on this text called Mercy and Misery. This woman has been hauled up before Jesus as he's teaching in the temple by the elders. Jesus' teaching has been calling so much into question for them that they seek to catch him in something that they can charge him with and arrest him. So they're trying to trip him up in terms of the law. And so I cannot imagine what this woman's story is. We aren't given her story and we aren't given her name. But they find her. And they haul her up before Jesus and they say, the law says that we are to stone women women like this. And actually, if you were to do a fact check on this and you went back into the law of Moses, you would find that if a couple is caught in the act of adultery, both are to be stoned. But eh, that's not really important here to the elders who bring this woman before Jesus. They're just wanting to catch him. And Jesus Response to them is actually interesting. He bends down and he begins to write in the sand. And I cannot imagine the number of sermons that have been preached on trying to figure out what Jesus was writing in the sand. (laughs) Suffice it to say, it's not important for the writer of Gospel of John to tell us the content. And actually, some commentators say that um, this is... An ancient way of dismissing the conversation. When Jesus bends down and begins to write, he in essence is telling the elders, this situation is not worthy of us. But they persist. And of course, when Jesus responds and says, okay, whichever one of you doesn't have any sin, you go first. And then he bends down and he begins to write again in the sand, dismissing the conversation. 
And one by one, they begin to leave. And there, at the end, is the woman standing before Jesus and everybody else has left. Of course, our attention is often drawn to this woman who has committed adultery and to the pardon and the forgiveness that she receives. But stop and think about all of the other characters in this story, the elders, who walk away, who miss out on a chance to receive forgiveness and pardon. I wonder how thick was their armor and how heavy was the backpack. Poet David White has a book called Consolations. It's not a book of poetry. It's a book about everyday words. And this is what he has to say about forgiveness. To forgive is to assume a larger identity than the person who was first hurt. To mature and bring to fruition an identity that can put its arm not only around the afflicted one within, but also around the memories seared within us by the original blow and through a kind of psychological virtuosity extend our understanding to one who first delivered it. Let me read that again. To forgive is to assume a larger identity than the person who was first hurt. To mature and bring to fruition an identity that can put its arm not only around the afflicted one within, but also around the memory seared within us by the original blow. And through a kind of psychological virtuosity, extend our understanding to one who first delivered it. The one little clause in that beautiful reflection on forgiveness that I um, question is the phrase, through a kind of psychological virtuosity. Because it assumes that we can summon up from within, somewhere, by ourselves, some kind of will to address the hurts we have received and therefore then to forgive. But if we are people of the story, and if we remember the story, we remember that we cannot do this alone. Forgiveness, healing, salvation, they are related words within our faith story. To forgive is to be healed, is to be saved. To be saved is to be healed, is to forgive. And we cannot do this alone. I think... This armor that we build up through our lives, this backpack we drag around full of hurts, I think it builds up because when we are very, very young and we cry because of the hurt 
The world is uncomfortable with tears. The world is uncomfortable with vulnerability. And we as parents want our children to be able to navigate in the world, do we not? We want them to build up a little bit of armor, kind of like a band-aid, to protect them from the hurts that they will receive. And every one of us, as we have gotten older, we have walked this same journey. But the one whom we call Lord and Savior models for us what it means to navigate through life without armor. Models for us what it means to not carry a backpack full of hurts that we perhaps can summon up and chuck at somebody else when we want to inflict the pain. We have one that we call Lord and Savior who lived his life openly, who wept openly, who underwent torture and execution and hanging on the cross said, Lord, forgive them. That is the one we call Lord and Savior, who models vulnerability, who models what it means to forgive and what it means to live as a forgiven person in the light of God. And my friends, It's a lifetime of work. I have this kind of image in my mind rather than a backpack. These hurts, they kind of go into a black hole within our psyche, within our hearts. And do we ever want to go into that black hole and examine what's there? But when we do, when we do, we can dredge it up and we can offer it to a God who does not fear tears and who is not ashamed of vulnerability. We enter the heart of God in so doing. I hope some of you enjoyed Pastor Caroline's talks the last three Wednesdays at Wednesday Windows because we looked at this model, this simple little model, looking at children's spirituality, and it's a spirituality that applies to all of us. The world wants us to be that happy face on the left, a happy face with armor and a backpack full of rocks. That's where the world wants us to be. But if we can go into that place and dredge up those hurts, whether they are hurts we have received, whether they are hurts we have inflicted, we offer it to God and we go into the heart of God. And when we come out on the other side, we are not the same. As Josh so wonderfully illustrated with our children, when that paper is unwadded, we are no longer the same. We are transformed. We are forgiven. And as a forgiven people, then we can forgive. And we stand before God 
mercy personified in Jesus Christ. And we can receive that forgiveness. Amen.